0: Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George.
1: And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Alias Grace. Alias Grace was written by Mark Atwood and was published in 1996.
0: And the film, film adaptation directed by Mary Heron came out in 2017 on Netflix. Yep. Which is funny because it came out... Roughly the same time as The Handmaid's Tale.
1: Around the same time, yeah. Yeah, uh, Mm -hmm. like
0: shortly after. And even though I remember this getting a lot of uh, praise, Mm -hmm. uh, I think it did get kind of overshadowed
1: by The Handmaid's Tale. Tale. I agree. And it's really interesting because they are two very different stories.
0: Super different, yeah.
1: But they are both kind of interested in stories of women and women's perspective
0: and like even though the handmaid's tale isn't in the past a lot of the ideas and the uh aspects of this futuristic culture in the handmaid's tale are like it feels like it's in the 1800s yeah like the women's outfits and Mm -hmm. you know the modesty aspects and things like that so this seems to be something that margaret atwood is is really i don't really know much about her other books
1: yes uh, these are the only two that i've read so yeah so
0: i'm very curious what her other uh books focus on time period because i can't picture her writing anything like in the present day
1: i know i can't either (laughs) (laughs) if you haven't listened to our handmaid's tale episode definitely check that out that was one of the first episodes we did actually it It was very early in our podcast history um, but it was a fun one to do.
0: It was. I really enjoyed, uh, getting to do that one. I was, and I loved getting to read another Margaret Atwood.
1: Yes. Book. And this is a patron request. Our wonderful patron, Maria, uh, requested this episode. So we're really excited to do a patron requested episode.
0: Yeah. And if you're interested in, uh, joining our Patreon, having, uh, one of your recommendations, uh, covered by us, we would, uh, love that. We, you know, do bonus episodes for our patrons, as well as monthly episode schedules and priority recommendations. So we'll try to get to your recommendations as quickly as we can.
1: Yes, of course, we always want to hear feedback from you on what episodes you would like. But we really do make a priority for our patrons when they request an episode to build that into our schedule. So we're really excited to do this episode um, requested by Maria.
0: Yeah, for sure. So something we should address, you know, right off the bat is that this story is pretty... It's it's rooted in a real murder that occurred in the mid-1800s.
1: Yeah, and so we're just going to talk about some of the historical facts. Um, This woman, Grace Marks, was um, from Ireland, and she was a maid in this house, and she was implicated in the murders of her employer, Mr. Kinnear, and his housekeeper, Nancy Montgomery. And there was also another co-conspirator in the murders, James McDermott, who is a stable hand and accounts kind of differ as to like what Grace's involvement in the crimes was, but this was an actual event that happened and McDermott was actually hanged for the crimes and Grace was originally supposed to hang as well. And then her sentence was changed to life imprisonment.
0: Yes. And McDermott's like, final words before he was hanged was basically blaming grace yeah that she was kind of the mastermind of everything that happened mm-hmm. and so we get all this info early on in the story we this establishes why uh grace is currently in the penitentiary penitentiary god that's a hard
1: yeah penit- prison
2: prison <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's easier prison why she's in in jail <laughs> And we get these like loose facts and kind of know the parties involved. Yes. So but there is kind of a vagueness surrounding exactly what happened, what her involvement was in it. Yes. And
3: And what is
1: actually true. And the book does a really interesting thing where it kind of puts in parts of like testimonies from the trial. It puts in um, interviews that were done with. Grace and with McDermott as well into the story. Um, newspaper clippings, a lot of historical details. And Margaret Atwood did a lot of research, obviously. Yeah. Um, on this time period and on the, the people involved in this to try and give it this, like, mix of fact and fiction where you're not sure where one begins and the other ends.
0: Which I, you know, really love. And it is a very strong theme in, this, in the story, this vagueness. About where the truth lies and what is true and what isn't. Yeah. So many aspects of this story were contradictory, mm-hmm. and the book like seemingly is kind of sorting them out, but also not putting a new, <laughs> fresh coating of, of ambiguity over top of it all.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, so it's a really interesting setup and approach uh, to this story because even though Grace Marks is real and this or was real, and these murders actually happened. Uh, The story really kicks off with the introduction of a character who's completely fictional, Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Simon Jordan. Yeah. And his arrival in the town, because he's been hired by a committee whose goal, they believe Grace is innocent of the charges. They want to see her exonerated, and they hire Dr. Jordan to try to interview her, and try to help her recover her lost memories.
1: Yes. And he's a psychiatrist.
0: Yeah. in in at this point, it's the most like modern concept of psychiatry. Yeah. Which, you know, he tells people like, oh, no, I just like listen to her talk and like let her talk about things and yeah. see if we can get anything out of it. And people are like, what? You don't like <laughs> douse her with weird chemicals. You don't like electrocute her. Yeah. <laughs> like all these weird old timey methods that people used as like. substitute for psychiatry Mm -hmm. so it is interesting him being like one of the earliest kind of adopters of this idea
1: yeah and all this takes place in canada actually which is interesting because uh, margaret atwood herself is a canadian writer and this was a canadian production that was distributed through netflix so it does have a very canadian feel to it which is cool and these Um, she's in prison in Canada and she is also working at the governor's house as well.
0: Yeah. She is kind of like a a servant or maid there. Even though she's
1: also in prison, like she sleeps at prison. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, now go to like the governor's house to work. And then she like comes back to the prison. So clearly like she's not really seen as a threat. No. Even though she's accused of like brutal murders, they're still like, eh, you you can like dust the furniture <laughs> and that's fine.
0: <laughs> there is kind of an interesting dynamic where the governor's wife kind of loves having her around because when she has friends over and stuff, it's kind of this like not scandalous thing, but like, oh my god, she's the murderess.
1: Yeah, she's like showing her friends, like, ooh.
0: She's a scrapbook of news clippings, not just of Grace but of other uh, people from the penitentiary penitentiary. God damn it. There I go again. I can't say that word.
1: Penitentiary.
0: Penitentiary. Okay. Yeah. I almost want to put like an extra like syllable. Penitentiary. Yeah. Or something. I keep wanting to do that. Penitentiary. (laughs) (laughs) I did it. I think it's the end of the episode. We can call it quits. I said it. Uh, But she's a scrapbook of different uh, women there and like their crimes and everything. So it's kind of like this weird kind of like focusing on these stories and how people including like the readers of the book itself are like interested in them.
1: Yeah. And so Dr Dr Jordan comes in and he's there to interview Grace and to talk to her about her life and the crimes that she may or may not have committed. And he is there to kind of determine whether she's guilty or innocent and also whether she is insane or not because she also spent some time in the asylum
3: mm-hmm. and went
1: through a period where people were like, she's crazy. And then they were like, she's not crazy anymore. So like, <laughs> we don't really know.
0: They're like, yo, dude, she's totally crazy. <laughs> she's like, she's cr- she's nuts. <laughs> but it is when you actually see like, They have her strapped to a chair and she's screaming and like, yeah, I would be screaming too if you strapped me to a chair. Yeah. You really get to see how ludicrous these practices were and still are probably to an extent.
1: Yeah. But even back then, like you can't even imagine like what an asylum like that would have been like.
0: No, the abuse both like mentally and physically. Yeah. uh, And like if you weren't already uh, suffering from mental uh, problems when you go in there. You will be probably by the time you get out. Oh, I'm sure. So it, it's kind of this, you know, it, it's just a terrible scenario that Grace had to endure. And when we see her, she's very, she is still herself, but she's kind of hardened yes. to an extent, uh, just kind of getting by day by day, not really seeing much hope for the future.
1: Mm-hmm. When she, when these murders happened, she was about 16
0: mm-hmm.
3: and
1: now it's supposed to be about 15 years later. Um, so she's definitely older. And so kind of contrasting this version of Grace is like her younger self when she was very like innocent in many ways and then now after everything she's been through and she begins to tell Dr. Jordan her life story and it's a very tragic story.
0: Yeah, it starts with her probably 13, 12 or 13, her and her family emigrate from Ireland mm-hmm. to Canada because uh, their dad is just kind of a total fuck up. Yeah. She, she has a lot of brothers and sisters that they're having trouble supporting financially, mm-hmm. and her dad believes that there's more opportunities in the new world, essentially. So they travel to Canada, and the trip is just one of the most horrendous things to read about, and it, the show does a good job, too, of depicting this.
1: Yeah, they call it, like, a, a slum Mm. Um, like a, a slum on the water, basically a traveling slum because all these people that are traveling from Ireland to Canada are very poor and so they can't afford like good conditions. So they're all kept like below deck in these like just horrific conditions, you know, like sewage everywhere, just people packed on top of each other, illness running rampant. And unfortunately Grace's mother ends up dying on the voyage.
0: Yeah, like they just don't really have, there is a doctor on board, but he kind of doesn't care about the people on that deck, essentially. And her mother becomes ill, seemingly from a tumor. It's not totally clear, but yeah, she uh, passes away in the night and they end up having a small funeral on the deck Mm -hmm. and drop her into the water. Yeah. And this is something that like sticks with Grace.
1: I think it's very traumatizing for her. She's the oldest of the siblings at this time and she kind of has to assume control and care of all her other siblings. Yeah. And it's clearly a burden. Like there's a lot of them. They don't have any money. There's barely any food. Their father is a good for nothing. And even when they get to Canada, um, he's a drunk, you know, he is volatile and angry. He's like beating grace at one point. He throws her against a wall, like really hard. Um, so Grace is dealing with a lot. Luckily, she ends up finding a job as a maid pretty Mm -hmm. quickly. And this is sort of like her way of escaping this like horrific life that she's led. But unfortunately, it means like leaving her family as well. And she talks about like she never really sees her siblings again and has no idea what even happened to them.
0: No, and and it's really sad, too, because it you can see that it's the scenario of if she doesn't get out. Like, yeah, she's not going to, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, this is literally she had two older siblings. I think it was two who had left home and had kind of like never returned. Yeah. And it's like that is your only chance, essentially, if you grow up in a family like that is to just leave. And it sucks because, you know, you have to abandon essentially your siblings. But what other choice do you have? Mm-hmm. And so she gets this job as a live in servant for the Parkinson family. Yeah. And it's there that she meets uh, Mary Whitney, a very uh, prominent and important figure in this story.
1: Yeah, and Mary is three years older than Grace and is clearly, like, the older sister and friend and really, like, positive influence in her life that she's never had. Yeah. Because Grace, you know, never really talks about having a good relationship with her mother or her siblings either. Um, and not really having anyone to talk to anyone to be close with and to share her feelings with. And Mary really becomes that for her. And so I think it, this book has a lot to say about like loneliness yeah, and not having someone to like share your thoughts or your feelings with and like what that can do to you. But like Mary and Grace really become close.
0: Yeah. I, there's a line in the book that I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but, uh, the character, Dr. Jordan, says something about, like, there's a woman in, in the story who's distressed, and he's like, if only she had another woman friend. It's in their nature to, like, care for each other. Yeah. And he says it in kind of like a... Condescending, condescending way. Condescending way. But really, there is a truth to that, and, like, a deeper truth than just even the way he puts it because like the women in the story oftentimes really do have to support and rely on each other because they don't have anyone else and there's no one else who can really kind of understand what they go through
1: and as a woman of a lower class station there's really no one else that's going to look out for them because No. no one else really cares about them um and mary is everything that grace is not she is bold. She's funny. She's kind of like a loud mouth. She has all these opinions. And Grace is just this like timid mouse that's just like coming into her own and seeing herself as a person. And so she kind of like, she's always quoting Mary.
3: Yeah. Like
1: everything she says is like, oh, well, Mary used to say this or Mary used to say that. Um. So she really like clearly looked up to her and kind of modeled herself on what Mary was.
0: Yeah, you can definitely tell she wants to be more of what Mary is. And you can see how Mary did affect her, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah. But yeah, their their friendship is so important. And it's so nice to see, given what the shit Grace goes through yeah. later in the story. It's really nice to see at a point in her life when she had someone so close to her. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I just loved their dynamic
1: There's a lot of talk, too, about class Mm -hmm. as well, because Mary is kind of this radical in some ways. There was a rebellion in Canada where the lower classes kind of fought against the upper classes. And Mary is very supportive of this and says that her father was part of the rebellion as well. And kind of gets into Grace's mind the idea of, like, class not really being anything more than a construct, Yeah. And how people are abused because of it. And like maybe these people shouldn't have all the wealth and shouldn't have all the power and things like that. So she kind of like gives Grace like hints of like, "Mm, maybe anarchy. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm just
0: saying some anarchy would be really cool. Yeah, I do love because I mean, as someone who grew up, both of us in the US, like I had no idea about Mackenzie's Rebellion. And yeah. kind of, and it's interesting because it almost feels—I'm sure there were a lot of differences, but it almost feels in a way like an alternate reality of like if the U, if the America wasn't able to pull away from England, you know what I mean? Because yeah. like Mackenzie's rebelli- rebellion ultimately failed, yes. And even though I think it did bring about change in a certain way, uh, it is just kind of this interesting split between the U.S. and Canada,
1: definitely because Canada is still. Very closely tied to England.
0: Yeah. So we we get some a day in the life of uh, Grace working as a servant, mm-hmm. uh, washing clothes and, you know, whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You, you know, the, the, the stuff. I don't have to explain it. <laughs> but uh, eventually there's kind of a turning point in the story specifically focusing around Mary Mm -hmm. where she becomes pregnant.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of interesting for Mary's character because for so long, she's warning grace. Yeah. Against like fucking with people. And by that, I mean like actually fucking she's like, don't let men like talk to you or say nice things to you because they're all shit. And like, they're all (laughs) trying to just like get in your pants or your skirt. Um, and like, they will all lie to you and like, you have to protect yourself because no one else is going to and is very like trying to give grace like the hard lessons that she needs to survive. Yeah. But then we see that Mary has not followed this advice, which to me kind of felt odd for her character.
0: Yeah, I don't. um, I kind of agree. I, I think it was maybe trying to like. Say something about, you know, maybe society in terms of like, even if a woman does have these understandings and strong viewpoints in a way that's kind of a woman's only way of stepping up. You know what I mean? In the world is to marry well and to like find love
1: and to try to find a chance. And so even someone
0: like her is susceptible to this like notion, but considering she was so specifically like warning Grace against the exact thing
1: that happens to her. You know,
0: she was saying like, "Oh, if they can't show you a ring and say they're going to marry you, you know what I mean, like warning don't don't have sex with them." And then she yeah. kind of does almost that exact thing.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think it's like you said that women didn't have a lot of options. Yeah. So, um anyway, it's not really like explained what happened with Mary, but we do know that there is a upper class man involved. So, you know, Mary's a maid and it's heavily, heavily, heavily implied that the man who has fathered this child that she is pregnant with, um, is the son of the people that they work for. So is a very upper class person. Like she basically works for him. And so this brings up a lot of issues of consent, power dynamics, and just like the role of like women of a lower class in this society and their options um and obviously this is like a really terrible situation for mary
0: i think this is a really difficult like subject to, to cover and i think this story does it really well in terms of like what you said when like a woman is employed by a family as yeah. was very common in this time period like like you said where consent lies where like you know all those issues uh, lay and uh, a movie we saw recently, Roma kind of has a similar theme and idea, but like didn't cover it the way I wanted it to. And this story was kind of like the more nuanced take of that, that I've like been looking for. Yeah. So I really appreciated that quality of it. Mm -hmm. But so Mary, I mean, Mary's just kind of devastated about her pregnancy. She's kind of like suicidal. The man
1: in question refuses to marry her.
0: Yeah. She kind of has taken back everything he said and has also said, I'll deny being involved at all. And this really also demonstrates the power that men have over just being able to like fuck off and like not take any responsibility for what they've done. At one point, Grace says, uh, if, if you're discovered with a man in your bedroom, Like, the woman is always at fault. It does not matter if the man forced his way into the bedroom and was, like, literally raping her. It doesn't matter. The woman's at fault for either And her
1: reputation is ruined.
0: Absolutely. And so she's, like, always on guard about that, Mm -hmm. especially after these events. But I also think this is a good demonstration of that. And so Mary decides that her only real option at this point is is to get an abortion.
3: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So her and Grace... Uh, pull together the money, and they go see a doctor.
1: Yeah, and this is a very horrifying scene because right away we know that, you know, this is not going to go well. Um, This doctor is very shady, um, very unconcerned with the women that he's treating. And after Mary comes out of this doctor's office, she's clearly, like, really fucked up, like something has happened. And, you know, she just goes through this horrible night of, like, torment, basically, and Grace is there with her, And in the morning she's dead. And this is where I see hints of like the handmaid's tale coming in and just this commentary on women's access to abortion and like just birth control and women having choice over reproduction in general. Yeah. Because this book is so concerned with the fact that, you know, women are burdened with children Yeah. And, like, not having choice over when they can have children, when they can't. I mean, we see in the beginning, Grace's mother has, like, has had, like, 12 children. She's very sickly because of all the pregnancies. And they have, like, no money because there's so many children. Yeah. So, like, no access to birth control or reproductive, like, choice. And how that, like, basically kills her in the end. And then we have Mary, who is just trying to, like, save enough money to, like, live an independent life and not be a servant anymore. And it's, like, caught in this trap where a man used his power and influence to sleep with her, made all these promises, and then that ends up killing her in the end because she doesn't have access to um, abortion to, you know, make that choice over whether she can have this child or not.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, it's such a cautionary tale, especially, like, in the present day, forms of, I mean, not only abortion, but, like, forms of, like, basic birth control yeah, become scarce and hard to, like, access, depending on laws and stuff, where you live or what state you live in, and especially in a patriarchal society, it shows that, like, it's just taking more and more power away from women and being able to choose what they do.
1: Yeah, and basically connecting pregnancy with death in so many ways, and yes, back then they didn't have a lot of like medical like things that we have today. It was much less safe. But just that idea that like having children is like very dangerous for women. Yeah. Like every woman that has a child is has a very likely scenario for her to die. Even in the developed world, even in the United States, like the maternal mortality rate in the US is deplorable. And so is the infant mortality rate. But it's basically like It was so much more pronounced back then, but I still think there are echoes of this today. And I don't think people want to really talk about it that much. But like having a child and being pregnant, like is very dangerous for women.
0: Absolutely. I think there's a really great quote in the story. And this goes to like the writing of the story, because there's so many really insightful and thoughtful prose in this story and thoughts from like Margaret Atwood that I just really loved that are just like very... Just well-stated, and one of them is not a conversation about quilts, but the quote from this story, the book is, um, you know, speaking of quilts, for they make the bed the most noticeable thing in a room, and then I have thought it's a warning, because you may think a bed is a peaceful thing, sir, and to you it may mean rest and comfort and a good night's sleep, but it isn't so for everyone, and there are many dangerous things that may, that may take place in a bed. It is where we are born, and that is our first peril in life. And it is where a woman gives birth, which is often their last. And it is where the act takes place between men and women that I will not mention to you, sir. But I suppose you know what it is. And some call it love and others despair, or else merely an indignity which must suffer through. And finally, beds are where we sleep in and where we dream and often where we die. hmm And I just, like, loved that entry in the story. Like, that thought, like, because, you know... I often think of bed as, like, a great thing, a peaceful thing. But especially at this time when, yeah, you oftentimes gave birth in a bed and, like, Mm -hmm. babies were born there and, like, so many other things occur there. And just her – Grace's more knowing understanding of this versus Dr. Jordan, who she's talking to.
1: Yeah, and this comes up a lot with Grace's understanding of the world versus Dr. Jordan, where Dr. Jordan is supposed to be this very educated Man, but he's so ignorant in so many ways Mm
0: -hmm.
3: of
1: what it's like to not only be a woman, but also to be poor.
0: Yeah. And have to do
1: like the everyday tasks that, you know, the poor servant class have to accomplish. And there's a lot of really funny scenes in both the book and the TV show about this, where Grace is talking about all the like chores she has to do and all the things that happen behind the scenes that for rich folks in this time. Um, might have seemed like they just happened naturally, but like how the world really works and how kind of dumb and ignorant and helpless he really is compared to her.
0: Yeah, and there is another part where he talks about, he reminisces in the book about this like encounter he had with one of his maids at one point where like he was going through her things when he was younger, like a teenager, and the maid catches him and they end up kissing and having sex, I think.
2: I don't think they had sex. They didn't?
0: Okay. Yeah. But he remembers this fondly. But at this point in the story, we know that, like, well, we don't know what that maid's perspective was, whether, you know, she felt pressured into doing that. It feels
1: very similar to Mary Whitney. It
0: absolutely does. But, like, Dr. Jordan is clearly kind of, like, still not getting it and thinking of those things fondly. And I really do love the parallel of Dr. Jordan and grace and like his ignorance on things and her knowledge on things and kind of that contrast the story creates.
1: Yeah, I think Margaret Atwood does a really good job of painting Dr. Jordan as a very complex figure. Yeah, because he really, I think, views himself as a good person.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. I think
1: he is in many ways, but she does show us, you know, through different things in his character that he is very flawed.
0: Absolutely.
1: And that he kind of views himself as better than a lot of the men around him. And a lot of the like villains in Grace's story as well. But when you really come down to it, he's basically the same.
0: Yeah. In a lot of ways, for sure. Mm mm-hmm. um, So Mary dies. Yes. And it's this very sad, sad, impactful moment for Grace she kind of informs everyone in the house uh, and they kind of decide to cover it up because when it's realized that she died from like a botched abortion. Yeah. And especially because the mother of the house kind of also Knew. seems to know it was George. She doesn't want that to come out. So she's like, we'll just say that she died of the flu. Some think, kind of illness. Something like that. And so she's like basically like cover it up. Mm hmm. And while they're cleaning up everything, at one point, Mary's body is just on the floor, and Grace thinks she hears her speak, hears her voice, and she says, let me in. Mm -hmm. And Grace believes that she misheard her and that she said, actually, let me out. Yes. Because there's this kind of... um,
1: This idea, I don't know if it's religious or just superstition, that you need to open the window to allow the soul to escape to heaven or hell i guess um and so she quickly goes to open the window um but then she has this weird episode where she faints Mm -hmm. and then um wakes up later and people tell her that there was a time where she woke up that she doesn't remember and was like talking kind of nonsense so we're seeing this like amnesia gaps in memory kind of showing up early in the story.
0: And part of her amnesia was she was saying, where's Grace? Yeah. Like, where's Grace? Disassociation. I'm, yeah. So this kind of, like, first hint that there's something going on with her where, you know, she doesn't re- remember entire, you know, scenes of her life or things that happened.
2: Yeah. But,
0: but-, uh, but also, sorry, just that the fact that this is all coming from Grace – and that Dr. Jordan, like, makes special note that, like, there's no one he can confirm this story with. No. Nope. This is what she's saying people have said to her. Yeah. But he's like, I can't confirm any of this. I don't. The, the Parkinson family moved or whatever. And
1: some of them died. Yeah. And all of this is really well put through in the book where... The way the story is told when we're in Grace's mind is like the first-person perspective, and as she's talking, we get her inner thoughts mixed in with the quotations that when she's talking to Dr. Jordan. But there are no quotes in the book.
0: No, during so in Grace's segments, it is just kind of like stream of conscience. Yeah. Where her all her dialogue and all, and occasionally uh, Dr. Jordan will speak, but nothing's in quotations. Yes. And it really does create this idea within the reader that this is
1: filtered through her mind and consciousness.
0: And that you're always kind of uncertain if either she's recalling things correctly, if she's Maybe being dishonest. Yeah. uh, And where the truth in all of this lies. It creates this really great ambiguity.
1: And there's a big difference between what she tells Dr. Jordan and what she thinks as well. And she talks about this in the book, but we get a really great visual representation of this in the TV show where she and Dr. Jordan may be talking. um, And then all of a sudden, Grace will have like this flashback or this quick scene that plays out in the show that is clearly like what's going on in her own mind that is separate from what she's saying out loud. Like we get a lot of scenes where Dr. Jordan is trying to trigger her memory and specifically the memory of the murders. And he's like, oh, I have this vegetable. Where would you put it? Maybe in the cellar, maybe in the (laughs) cellar where Nancy was murdered. What do you think of that? And Grace is like totally blank face, stoic, you know, not giving anything away, but we get this flash in the show of like, Nancy's body being thrown down the steps of the cellar and just this like the sound and the atmosphere of the cellar. And it's just really quick. And there's a lot of really interesting flashbacks like that that happen in the show.
0: I love it because Dr. Jordan's like trying to be sly. Yeah. You know about it. And Grace like is totally aware of it, but not giving him anything. Yeah. Which I really like. But yeah, I think the way the show handled at first, I didn't like the voiceover in her head. Because in the book, there's so much like so much is unspoken. Yeah. So many thoughts that Grace has go on in her head, but she doesn't actually say out loud, which I really liked. And I kind of wanted that ambiguity to her in the show as well. So when we got the voiceover at first, I was like, "Mm, it's a little too direct for me. Yeah. But I think with other elements, they work into the narrative as it goes. You still get that.
1: I do, I really think that the actress who played Grace was very good.
0: She's excellent.
1: Like, you just see on her face that there's so much going on beneath the surface. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: And
1: it does reflect that aspect of the book very well, where, I mean, there's a scene right at the beginning where she's looking at herself in the mirror and she's kind of, like, arranging her face into different expressions. And as you're looking at her, you're like, what am I looking at? <laughs> but I think it's so indicative of, like, this whole story. Like, what's happening? What is true? Is there one version of the truth, even? And, like, what do we contain inside ourselves? Like, do we have the capacity to be good and evil and also to have, like, these hidden parts of ourselves that we don't even want to admit to, our- to ourselves?
0: I also think it does a great job because, you know, something that's so unique about this story is, for all intents and purposes, like, Grace is kind of a boring character in a lot of ways. Yeah. In terms of she's just what kind she of like. presents. Yeah, she's a very straightforward, <clears throat> matter-of-fact kind of person. She's a maid. She knows a lot about doing that. Doesn't really want to get into people's shit. Is yeah. just minding her own business. And the quality about her that makes her interesting is maybe she murdered someone. Yeah. And so because of that like overhanging question, you really look into a lot of what she's saying, what she's doing with a hint of like
1: is uncertainty. There more? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so it really heightens that character a lot. But it could easily come across as just being boring. And in a way, Grace is, yes. you know, to an extent. Yeah. So I think that actress does an amazing job of retaining that while also keeping some of that mystery yes. to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Jordan, the actor who plays him does a good job. I don't recognize him from anything. No. Zachary Levi is in this, mm-hmm. who is very charming and very good as uh, Jeremiah the peddler.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Those are Kind of the three.
1: I mean, Anna Paquin, who plays Nancy. That's
0: right. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. she's good. There are some big names in this show, for but also some good, like, people I've never seen before. And I like that blend a lot.
2: Yeah, I agree.
0: Uh, So let's talk a little bit more about uh, Dr. Jordan and the the shenanigans (laughs) that he's getting into while he's in Kingston uh, interviewing Grace.
1: Yeah. So he's renting a room from this woman and very quickly her husband kind of like abandons her and he's sort of a drunk and an asshole. And then she's like, I have no money. And Dr. Jordan's like, okay, I'll give you money. And it's sort of being manipulated by her immediately. And then things get a little complicated. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) in a way that's even hard to,
1: understand yeah
0: one thing i do like is that jordan an interesting parallel is he's kind of having to like help around the house now yeah because the the landlady is kind of in a fragile state both physically and emotionally and he like needs a clean house and he has to cook which he's not used to doing and i like the parallel of this with what grace does yeah and at one point in the book he's like almost wanting to ask her about how to do things around the house because he doesn't know how.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, I can't admit, like, my own weakness to her.
0: And, and I think that works really well when that's going on in the story.
1: Yeah. He and the landlady actually begin a sexual affair. And the way that this begins is that he's having a dream that he's fucking Grace, which, like, <laughs> problematic on one end. <laughs> but then he wakes up from the dream and he's actually fucking the landlady. Uh, Her name is Rachel. And in the book, it's almost like they're both asleep when this is happening.
0: Yeah.
3: Which
1: is weird because then it seems like neither of them consented to having sex with the other.
0: Somehow this encounter happened with two people who neither of whom were consenting.
1: Yeah. the, The show is a little more like she clearly went into his bed and then like he was asleep and started like having sex with her and she was like, cool. Um, so that at least is like she seemed like she consented to that. <laughs> I, I guess know. even
0: though it was like manipulative of her to do it. Yeah. But he's kind of at first like horrified by this. She's like. Is she older than him?
1: Maybe only by a little bit.
0: Yeah. It, it It's like almost depicted that she's super old. Yeah. Because back then it's like dudes <laughs> married women who were like 20 years younger than them. And it was like fine and common. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Uh. So it's almost like seeming that she's way too old to be sleeping with him but that's kind of you know it's just like this the setup of it mm-hmm. so but then he starts uh banging her on the regular yeah and it's this really twisted weird relationship
1: yeah it's not really gone into at all in the show but they almost like enact these like fantasies yeah like they're both kind of pretending and this is a really interesting theme in the story which is like When can women be sexual and when is it okay for women to be passionate? Because it's really not um, at this time. And even for men, too, I think everyone is basically sexually repressed. Um, And this causes a lot of problems. And this brings up the idea of, like, women only feeling like they can be passionate if they're, like, resisting.
3: Mm -hmm. So
1: this idea of, like, rape as, like, a sexual fantasy where women can't feel like they can be sexual unless, like... Someone is forcing them to because if they wanted it themselves, that would be like whorish and slutty behavior that they've been trained by society to like not want.
0: Yeah, because like it's so it's almost like humorous because like this plays out every night they have sex. Yeah. Where at first she's like. Guilt ridden and like crying, and is like, I've betrayed my husband. What am I doing? And he's like, It's fine, don't worry about it. And then she's like, Oh, thank you. And she'll like touch him, but they're like, Oh, no, I'm so sorry. Like, I can't, I'm so like, even though they've like had sex like five times, you know what I mean? She's like, I can't, I'm so sorry. And then he's like, No, it's fine. And then he has to like actually engage her.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And so it's this kind of like weird role play thing, yeah. Which I mean, role play is like, you know totally fine but it just feels like something they feel like obligated to do
1: yeah and that she can't be open with like her sexuality absolutely yeah
0: so this whole (laughs) side plot is kind of like uh very very insightful and interesting I did like it up to this point with Dr. Jordan yeah because it kind of reflected a lot of like how he views grace like, clearly, he really, like, desires her in a mm-hmm. sexual way. And
1: I'm sure that's not affecting his judgment at all. No. <laughs>
0: totally unbiased. Absolutely. <laughs> He's just trying to get her off Adina. She's <laughs> just trying to get her off in a totally
1: non-sexual, non-sexual way. Why would you way. even bring that up? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's what's going on with Dr. Jordan just while he's having all these interviews with Grace. It's just and like, having
1: a side bang.
0: And he's also like clearly becoming more and more just like ragged from everything going on. And Grace is like clearly noticing this. Like he's becoming thinner looking and just like just uh,
1: mentally unstable. And
0: there's also this little side thing in the book where like he's gardening. Yeah, but kind of from everyone else that watches him. Like he's just digging in the dirt.
1: Yeah. Which
0: I love is like a metaphor for him.
1: Trying to uncover the truth.
0: Yeah. Just him like literally pointlessly (laughs) like he's gardening in air quotes, but like just digging a hole.
1: Terrible at it.
0: (laughs) So that's, that's him. Let's go to the point in the story where shortly after Mary Whitney dies, Uh, Grace meets um, Nancy.
1: Yeah. And Nancy convinces Grace to come work in the house that she works for because Nancy is a housekeeper and they need a maid. Um, And Grace is very starved for companionship. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier about that loneliness and needing some like a friend. And she thinks that Nancy will be this friend to her like Mary was. Um, But this position is not in the city. It's out in the country. And when she gets there, she realizes actually how isolated she is because Mr. Kinnear owns the house. Nancy is the housemaid. Grace is uh, the additional maid. And then there's a stable hand, uh, McDermott. And then there's, like, kind of this boy who lives, like, not too far away, Jamie Walsh, who lives nearby. And it's kind of, like, a helping hand. So besides those main characters, they are very isolated from the rest of the world.
0: Yeah. And let's, um... Let's break down a few of these characters because they're all very interesting and their dynamics with each other I I like a lot. Yeah. Let's talk about Nancy first because Nancy kind of is an enigma to an extent, kind of hard to pin down because at first when she meets Grace, she's very warm, friendly and reminds Grace a lot of Mary. Yeah. And so which is partly why she takes this job almost but then when she meets her a second time, she's kind of cold, kind of distant. Yeah. And this is kind of her dynamic throughout the story. Mm-hmm. She goes like on and off with being she's almost like uh, uh, bipolar. Yeah. In a way where from one she can be like one minute very nice and kind and then the next minute be very aggressive And this kind of like switches on and off. Mm -hmm. And at one point, Grace kind of figures it's really only when Mr. Kinnear is around that she seems to be more aggressive Mm -hmm. with her. So Nancy is a really interesting character who like is mysterious in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. And we find out at some point that Nancy and Mr. Kinnear are having a sexual relationship Yeah. And that Nancy eventually becomes pregnant um, with Kinnear's child. And we find out, too, from her past that she had a pregnancy previously when she was younger and the baby died. And that this sort of, like, her reputation was ruined after that event. And then shortly after she was hired by Kinnear, maybe on purpose, Mm -hmm. um, knowing that her reputation was ruined and it might be easier to sexually manipulate her. But Nancy clearly sees herself as above Grace in a lot of ways, maybe because of the sexual relationship with Kinnear. And he gives her favors and nice dresses and jewelry. So she's trying to put herself above, but at the same time, she realizes that her situation is very precarious as well, and that she could be usurped by someone like Grace. So she's very jealous. Sometimes she views Grace as a rival for Mr. Kinnear. And I do think that great or Nancy's in an impossible uh, situation.
0: Yeah. Where, you know, Mr. Kinnear is, is viewed as being a very liberal, like master. Yeah. And like, I, he, he is in a lot of ways. He does seem very relaxed about a lot of things around the house and everything, but also that like liberalness is also like yeah I can just fuck my, uh, the the how what what's your role called the housekeeper housekeeper and it is sad because their relationship does kind of revolve around her being the housekeeper and him being above her and once again we get into kind of a role playing situation yeah where he's kind of like oh I'm your master and if I command you to sit on my lap like you should and like mm-hmm. it seems mutual. But on the other hand, you're like, well, how much of this has been, like, kind of nurtured over time?
1: Yeah. And what option did Nancy even really have?
0: Absolutely. And Mr. Kinnear is kind of mysterious, the most mysterious out of all the people, Mm -hmm. because you know he's having a sexual relationship with Nancy. And it's also unclear if he had one with Grace or not. Yeah. At one point, Grace is questioned about this by Dr. Jordan, and she kind of seems to evade the question. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, you're not sure if she did, if maybe she thinks she did, but can't remember, Mm -hmm. you know, so Grace's relationship with Mr. Kinnear is is ambiguous as well.
1: Yeah. And then there's McDermott, who's the stable hand, who's very like angry, brooding, kind of volatile and violent in many ways and who Grace is constantly having to, like, manage in terms of, like, he's trying to hit on her. He's Mm -hmm. kind of rude to her. She's trying to, like, keep on his good side, but also not too good because he seems like he would probably rape her at, like, any chance he got. Mm -hmm. And then we also have uh, Jamie Walsh, who's, like, uh, almost as young as Grace, a little younger, um, but who really looks up to her and is kind of, like, idealizing her and in love with her
0: there's a really interesting kind of dynamic where Jamie only being like a year younger than her is viewed as being like a boy, like a child where as Grace is seen as, as a grown woman at this point. Mm -hmm. And I love the book was, as I was reading the book, I kind of like was aware of that and was like, that's such a double standard. And then the book goes on, like it was like the next page acknowledges this. Yeah. And is like, Grace is kind of aware of like what, or maybe it's Jamie who asks her about it. Yeah. Because he kind of confesses his feelings for her and she tells them he's so young and he's like, I mean, I'm only a year younger than you. Why am I considered a boy mm-hmm. in this situation? And I do think that does a good job of shining a light on that aspect of society, too, that like men get to be children a lot longer than women get to be.
1: Yeah, because women are sexualized almost, you know, from... The, f- the first time that they start to, you know, physically develop, they're suddenly an object of sexual fantasy and attraction. Um, yeah, so like a lot of this, these interesting dynamics mm-hmm. between the characters is going on. McDermott is almost immediately in conflict with Nancy and we find out soon that he's been fired and he will soon be leaving the uh, property and not be working there anymore. So we get this conflict almost from the start.
0: Something I really loved about this story was it felt like it had elements of, like, a gothic horror. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind of like this group of people, of servants, and, like, the master kind of, like, isolated Mm -hmm. these complex dynamics, and you know a murder's gonna happen. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because at one point in the story, there's, like, uh, a thunderstorm and rain, and, of course, Grace is having all kinds of dreams. Like, dreams are a heavy theme in this story. Definitely. She has a lot of really interesting and bizarre dreams. And so does uh, Dr. Jordan as well. Yeah. But so all of these elements give it this real like I thought of gothic horror reading it. And Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that aspect of it.
1: So McDermott kind of at this point is like, I'm going to murder Nancy and Mr. Kinnear. (laughs) And Grace is like, no, you're not.
0: (laughs) He's like, M2. I'm totally going to do a murder.
1: And then she's, like, trying to, like, kind of prevent him. We have this whole sequence of events where Mr. Kinnear leaves for a while. And then McDermott is like, I'm going to kill Nancy tonight. I'm going to, like, chop her with the axe. And Grace is like, don't. And then it maybe did happen. Mm -hmm. And Grace has all these gaps in her memories, which are really interesting. And then Kinnear at some point comes back and McDermott shoots him. And there's some doubt as to Grace's involvement in this. Did she help strangle Nancy? Um, Did she help plan these murders? Or is it like she's telling Dr. Jordan she just doesn't remember and he did it. And she was just kind of like this person on the side that was like, please don't do it, but wasn't able to stop him.
0: Yeah. uh, And and so many of these qualities that are uncertain is like, you know, her, her gaps in her memory. Yeah. And then when she testified in court... Her attorney had her make up a lot of stuff that she claimed to remember. Yeah. Because as her attorney put it, like, well, whether you remember it or not, it happened. And you saying you don't remember is only going to make you look guilty. Yeah. So she's like, I guess. Okay. So she, like, made up seeing things that she didn't actually see. Yeah. And then we had testimonies from people who claimed to see Grace that day. Like which a, she
2: can't remember. Which she
0: can't remember, but they're like, yeah, she seemed totally normal, even mm-hmm. though Nancy at this point was dead. Yeah. And and then, of course, the the papers that reported on this, which misquoted and got facts wrong, mm-hmm. that Grace has to, like, clarify. And I like that Dr. Jordan asks her a lot of questions, like, well, why did you say this thing? And then she has a perfectly good explanation for how this thing got misconstrued or contorted. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so clearing up a lot of these facts, but also there's still clear either contradictions or confusions in the story that not even Grace can account for. Yeah. Assuming she's even telling the truth.
1: And the whole like, I don't remember is very like convenient in many ways. Yeah.
0: At one point he Dr Jordan talks to the, her lawyer that she had at the yeah. time and he's like, you'd be shocked by how many people I represent who claim not to remember
1: exactly what happened killing
0: someone and chopping them up yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's a very convenient thing to not remember
1: yeah and there's a bit I want to read from the book which is like Grace's inner kind of thoughts and like monologue which is very interesting because this book is very complex in terms of like what is real what's dreaming what is the unconscious and what is going on in grace's mind so this is unclear if this is a memory or a dream i'm in the back passage feeling my way along the wall i can scarcely see the wallpaper it used to be green here are the stairs going up here's the banister the bedroom door is half open and i can listen bare feet on the red flower car- carpet I know you're hiding from me. Come out at once or I'll have to find you and catch you. And when I've got hold of you, then who knows what I'll do. I'm keeping very still behind the door. I can hear my own heart. Oh no, oh no, oh no. Here I come. I am coming now. You never obey me. You never do what I say, you dirty girl. Now you have to be punished. It is not my fault. What can I do now? Where can I turn? You must unlock the door. You must open the window. You must let me in. Oh look, oh look at all the split petals. What have you done? I think I sleep. Then a new paragraph. I'm outside at night. There are trees, there is the pathway, and the snake fence with a half-moon shining, and my bare feet on the gravel. But when I come around to the front of the house, the sun is just going down, and the white pillars of the house are pink, and the white peonies are glowing red in the fading light. My hands are numb. I can't feel the ends of my fingers. There's the smell of fresh meat coming up from the ground and all around, although I told the butcher we wanted none. On the palm of my hand, there's a disaster. I must have been born with it. I carry it with me wherever I go. When he touched me, the bad luck came off on him. I think I sleep. It's just like so unsettling. Yeah,
0: so dreamlike and weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's one sequence where Grace has a dream where she goes outside and in... In the dream, it's during a storm. Yeah. And then in the dream, she sees uh, these headless angels sitting on a tree watching her. Mm -hmm. And it's like such creepy, unsettling imagery. Yeah. And the next morning, she wakes up and goes outside. And the storm had blown the laundry from the clothesline and caught it in the trees. Yeah. And she's like, that's what I saw, which implies that she had sleptwalked out there and had Mm -hmm. actually seen. But... That imagery is so unsettling. Yeah. And not to mention it tied really well into like this theme established earlier about laundry almost being like godly.
2: Yeah. In a weird way. Angelic.
0: Angelic and how big like kind of fluffy white clouds she always thought of as being like God's laundry. Yeah. So just all these things are woven together so masterfully in this story uh, that I really loved it.
1: Yeah. And I think we should talk now about the character of Jeremiah, who is this peddler that Grace meets when she's at the Parkinson's originally. And then she sees him again when she's at the Kinnear house. And he kind of is like this mysterious figure that's supposed to be kind of like psychic. He can read palms. He's kind of the charlatan in many ways, like he does tricks and things like that. And he tells Grace that, like, she's in danger, basically, yeah. and tries to get her to, like, go with him. And they do have a lot of, like, camaraderie between them. Um, and she ends up not going with him. And then this disaster happens. And then we see that he ends up coming back.
0: It was done so well in the book. The the show couldn't have done it this way. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I obviously don't blame it for not doing it but like the book had it (laughs) executed so well where dr jordan had met this man yeah while he's interviewing grace there's this other figure who shows up another doctor named dr dupont dupont who is in the field of hypnotherapy yeah and is like they discuss like their practices and like the scientific applications of each and dupont really wants to hypnotize grace Mm -hmm. and you know to try to like bring about her lost memories, and it's only later when Grace meets Doctor Dupont that she realizes it's Jeremiah the peddler. Yeah, and it's so effectively done in the book, is obviously because Doctor Jordan doesn't know who that is. Yeah, he doesn't recognize him, and you don't know it's him. Mm-hmm. But of course, the show couldn't show you him. Yeah, so the show just kind of has him enter the story like a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But so. And Jeremiah did kind of talk about doing, like, sideshow hypnotism. Yeah. So this still fits in with his character. And so now we get in this situation where Dr. Jordan feels like he's at a dead end with Grace. He wasn't able to bring about her lost memories. And so he is willing to let Jeremiah uh, hypnotize her Mm -hmm. in kind of a, a... presentation almost like there's multiple people there to like witness it yeah and to see it's it an happen. event it is it's an event of the century
1: yeah this is a very weird scene because they're all gathered he says that it's not a seance but it kind of feels like a seance and he puts grace in in a hypnosis she is asleep and is able to talk with her and then All of a sudden, in the book, we get, like, a lot of disturbances. Like, there's a knocking sound, almost, which reminds you of a seance. And then suddenly, we hear a voice coming from Grace that doesn't sound like her.
0: No. And Grace has, like, this veil over her head. Yeah. So, it's, like, very creepy to hear her talking in, like, this voice. And it's very uncharacteristic of her. And she's very crude. Yeah. And, like mean and like is like laughing to herself Mm -hmm. as she speaks
1: and she's laughing at dr jordan she's laughing at lydia who's the governor's daughter who's kind of into dr jordan she's kind of mocking all of them and dr jordan is asking her about the cellar he's asking her about nancy and if she helps strangle her and this voice is basically like oh yeah i killed her like Mm -hmm. she had to die the wages of sin is death and This person that's speaking is very vengeful, is very violent, and is very coy and manipulative. She talks about kind of keeping McDermott and Kinnear on a string. Like, she kind of flirted with them, let her, like, kiss her and touch her and stuff um, in order to manipulate them. Yeah.
0: And she just is, like, so, I don't want to say cruel, but, like, conniving and, like, kind of evil almost like I, I forget how dr jordan put it but her her um like lust for violence what was, yeah. was like shocking mm-hmm. and so you know they kind of have this whole interaction and they ask and at one point she says like they're like so grace is guilty and she said no of course not grace she had like,
1: nothing to do with it
0: yeah and they're like you're not grace and she was like no yeah yeah and they're like, well, who are you? And she's like, you'll have to guess. <laughs> and it's so, this scene is so good in the yeah. book and the show. Uh, each do it really well, where basically it's implied that the person talking to them is Mary Whitney. Yes. Where, and this kind of ties into the let me in whisper that we heard, that Grace heard from Mary, mm-hmm. as if, and she kind of says as much that like her soul entered grace in that moment yeah and so she kind of became like a vengeful spirit almost Uh uh-huh and obviously the the scientific view of this would be that like the trauma of mary dying created this split personality within yeah grace uh but then the other explanation is that uh grace is full of shit and she's putting on a show
1: yeah and i mean this is sort of supported by the character of jeremiah like what's the point in her knowing Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? This could just as easily be some other random character performing the hypnosis. But what does it mean that these two characters know each other?
0: And that, like, they had time before the hypnosis where they could have planned everything. Mm -hmm. But also, is Grace the kind of person who could do something like that? Like, be convincingly a different... Because, I mean, everyone in the room is, like, captivated and horrified. And it's like very uh, like Dr. Jordan, who is a complete skeptic and like kind of a man of science, quote unquote, is like
1: so unsettled.
0: Absolutely. So like this performance, if it is that captures everyone.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. And I think this, there's like a lot of theories that this, what this could be, you know, like you said, it could be, she's possessed. Yeah. You know what I mean? It could be a demonic spirit, it could be the actual ghost of Mary Whitney, um, because Mary talks about when she's speaking through Grace, like I was so cold and I needed to be warm, and I couldn't get out because the window wasn't open. So like, I used Grace's clothing, I used her body, yeah, um, and Grace doesn't know. and then the, the again, there's this other idea that like Mary Whitney maybe was a real person, but maybe not. Like maybe she wasn't real, and it was just Grace's like alternate personality Mm -hmm. that just kind of came out or was developed because of all the trauma in her life. Yeah. And that Mary Whitney was a way for her to express the rage that she wanted to feel. Like even using all of Mary Whitney's quotes and saying, Oh, Mary used to say this kind of like deflecting it from herself and being like, well, I wouldn't say that, but Mary used to (laughs) say that because she couldn't allow herself to feel all the rage and anger that she wanted to feel in this type of society where women are like subjugated and like, you know, she was poor and abused so much. hmm
0: Yeah, I think it... This scene is so kind of, like, masterful in both versions at kind of giving you an answer, but also still leaving it totally up in the air and up to the reader yeah. or audience to kind of interpret it how they want. mm mm-hmm. uh, And also just giving like really locking down this theme and idea of women not being able to express themselves yeah, and how in Grace's situation, it came about in this alternate persona.
1: Yes. Supposedly. So. And Grace talked earlier in the book specifically about being angry that like Nancy was pregnant from mm. Mr. Kinnear and that Mary had died in a similar circumstance. Yeah. And kind of that idea that, like, Nancy should die too. Because if Mary had died, then, like, if someone else did the same situation, they would deserve to die as well. So this idea kind of, like... Her not being able to fight against all these forces of like a patriarchal and like capitalist classist society, and so her taking outrage on a person who is actually a victim herself, which is Nancy, and part of the situation, and feeling well, Nancy should should suffer because there's no way that she can dismantle the system that like allowed it to happen in the first place.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it's just, man. This scene is really, (laughs) it's really captivating and just, like, creepy. I liked in the book the seance elements that were going on as well, like the knocking on the door and everything, Mm -hmm. the veil on her head. Yeah. Just really cool. Uh, But so after this, uh, let's kind of, like, follow through with Dr. Jordan.
1: Yeah, Dr. Jordan is like, Nope, 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 nope,
0: nope, nope, <laughs> <laughs> like, But the paper you have to write, he's like, nope, 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 <laughs> nope, nope nope, <laughs> nope, 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 <laughs> nope, nope.
1: Yeah, he's like, this is too much for me. I cannot handle this. <laughs> he's like,
0: I can't. He's like, I don't. He's like, I believe what happened, but also I don't. And I can't write about it in like a scientific paper. Yeah. Because I don't think it belongs there, but also how else could I write about this? Yeah. Uh, and so... so in in the the show there's one brief scene where he's fucking his landlady oh my god just like on the floor and being like really weird and aggressive about it and he tells her to her face like i want to fuck someone else
2: yeah and you're like wow okay
0: and then he like punches the wall and like leaves and i do like this is like him at his most like frustrated and just like you know kind of torn apart over the situation and like how like tied up he was by grace. It's interesting. Cause like in the, when grace is explaining the situation at the Kinnear house, she in her alternate persona said how she had both Mr. Kinnear and McDermott like wrapped around her finger. Yeah. And she did the same thing with Dr. Jordan. Yeah. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, mm-hmm. she also like, captivated him and
1: got in his head
0: and got in his head and like kind of just totally caused him to question like who he was and his morals.
1: Yeah. In the book, there's this whole bit where, the landlady, Rachel, like, wants uh, Dr. Jordan to, like, kill her husband because her husband is coming back. And she's <laughs> like, okay, we're totally going to kill him. And he's like, yeah, this is, like, a sex thing. Okay. Like, And he, like, kind of is like, yeah, and they have sex. And then later she's like, yeah, like, you're so, going to kill him.
0: So about that murder. And he's
1: like, oh, no. <laughs> and then he's like, uh, I got to go. I'll be right back, though. And then he just takes off and leaves. It's
0: It's so, it's, like, funny, like... I mean, when the person you're sleeping with asks you to commit a murder, there's really no appropriate way to handle it. But it's, no. it still felt shitty the way he like he he pretended to be sick and asked her to go get medicine. <laughs> and then while she was gone, he packed up and left. And then he left a letter with an excuse being like, I just heard my mom is sick. <laughs>
1: Gotta go. Don't
0: try to contact
2: me.
1: Yeah.
0: He managed to ghost her 1800 style.
1: <laughs> Ghosting. <laughs> um, I don't really like the way his story ends in either the book or the show. Not really. Um, he ends up going to war because uh, the Civil War is happening at this time and he's from America. And he gets this injury and his brain is like damaged. In the show, it kind of seems like he's like a vegetable now.
0: Yeah. Like he can't communicate or move or anything. In the
1: book, it's just like he lost his memory and no longer remembers anything about like Grace or anything. And I was like, what was the point of that?
0: Yeah. To me, in the book, we like there were parallels between him and Grace's past that I enjoyed. But then when it got to the point where she's like, can you murder my husband? I am No. "Okay, now it's like way too far into that category of like creating this parallel story. And then when he gets amnesia on top of it. Yeah. I was just like, this is too much. Yeah. I'm not into this. I don't. What's the point? I don't get it.
1: Yeah. So he kind of like he meets his fate off the page, really, where we just find out in letters that happened at the end, like what happens to him. And this was like kind of not very satisfying for me.
0: No, because, I mean, despite all his flaws, I still was engaged with him as a character. Yeah. You know, and I I kind of didn't like, I don't know, just the need to do something with
2: him. Yeah.
0: To end his story. I, I would have rather him just, like, fuck off to Europe. I know. And try to try start. Try to forget. Yeah, and try to start the asylum. Like, mm-hmm. maybe see how his experience with Grace has changed him. yeah. Uh, And then just leave it at that.
1: Yeah. Grace has an interesting ending where we get like 10-ish years later where she's finally pardoned. So um, the committee is actually able to get a pardon for her and she's released from prison. And then she ends up reconnecting with Jamie Walsh, um, much older now, and he and Grace get married, actually.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. We were talking about this earlier, and on one hand, I think most interpretations of Grace's innocence would, to me, leave her more innocent than guilty. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I'm fine with the idea of her getting out. Like, I don't think she necessarily deserves to be in prison for life for what occurred, But something about giving her this really happy ending seemed to kind of, like, almost go against what the book was establishing with, like, all the shit women go through. And
1: the complications of, like, Grace's testimony and what is true and what isn't.
0: Yeah, it's a matter of, like, what do you want to see for your character and what would be realistic. Yeah. And I mean, maybe... I mean, I'm guessing she actually was let out in real life. Yeah. Because she was she stuck to the facts Mm -hmm. and everything else. So I I guess in that regard, she kind of wanted to probably follow through with like what actually happened in her story. Yeah. But also, I think you could have ended it before that.
2: Perhaps. Mm
0: -hmm. I don't know. Leave it more vague about, oh, who knows what happened to her? Yeah. So I don't know. That's kind of an interesting dilemma of. How obligated she is to the true story, because obviously she does. All, she has a she takes a lot of liberties. Yeah, with
2: Margaret the true Atwood. story, yeah. yeah. Mar- I'm
0: sorry, Mar- Margaret outward takes a lot of liberties with like split personalities and like all this kind of craziness. Yeah. Uh, but then also tries to stick to the facts when they're known. Mm-hmm. So, I guess that's just kind of a personal choice on her part. How real she wanted to stay with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so she does kind of have this stereotypical ending. An interesting aspect though is like when she's talking about her ending, a lot of the things that she was able to accomplish, like she and Jamie have this farm, they have cows, they have horses, they have a dog and cat, are like what Mary Whitney wished for.
0: Yeah, in she Grace's even, story. Yeah, she even named her dog Rex, which is what Mary wanted to name her future dog. Yeah. yeah. And once again, yeah, that like parallel of her and mary and is like is mary another personality that's like still in there
1: yeah and then she's like i made a quilt and i put a dress from mary and from me and from nancy into it so now we can all be together and i'm like
0: (laughs) 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 yeah uh i kind of it's funny too because like i kind of i always thought of it as like the deaths of the women in in threes in terms of like her mom yeah mary and nancy mm-hmm. but her mom kind of like almost gets forgotten to yeah, an extent i
1: thought about that too i was like i wish her mom was more part of that
0: yeah because in a way like this st- her story feels almost very fable like yeah. in terms of like this repetition of like women in her life dying and like what it means each time and it kind of being an escalation of events for her in yeah. her life so, but by the end, it's kind of like almost forgetting her mom to an extent, so.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, I did want to take the opportunity to read um, some of Maria's thoughts on yes, this. Yes, yes. So, she actually read this as part of a course that she took in college. And she said, um, I think the biggest theme and question of this book is is what responsibility Grace has or does not have in the murders. Neither the book nor the show give you any definitive answers to that question. It's really up to the reader to make that judgment, but the book is mostly from Grace's point of view, and her interviewer, Dr. Jordan, is kind of wishy-washy on her guilt or innocence. But his view is clouded because he really wants to bone Grace, (laughs) and his obsession with her is really gross and borderline unprofessional. I mentioned in my original email about the intersection of class and gender. Grace is accused of a pretty heinous murder, and it's implied that her supporters don't think she was capable of this crime because she was young and the fact that she's pretty. Her immigrant status and her social standing influences what people seem to think, too. But her main supporters, the governor's wife and her friends, are rich, upper-class white ladies, and they seem to take an interest in grace, possibly out of pity. When I originally read this book, I wrote a paper for my class arguing that Mary Whitney didn't really exist. I believe Mm. my argument was that she was an invention of grace either she's a separate personality or grace is making the story up or you could argue that Mary Whitney was real but grace took on her personality as a result of trauma so
0: mm, i like lo- that's really interesting yes i'd love to read that i would
1: love to read your paper as well Martha, so <laughs> send, send that to us that's really cool
0: <laughs> yeah i think another really great theme is the like the audience of this story. Yeah. Because, you know, when the murder happened in real life, it was very scandalous.
2: And sensational. And, and
0: sensational, yeah. And Grace became like a public figure. And people were both like horrified but what she did, but also needed to know more. And I think this like still so totally holds true today.
1: Oh, yeah. People's like, obsession with like true crime. True
0: crime podcasts are so popular. And yeah. like people still have this like crazy fascination with murder and with like guilt or innocence and all these other qualities yeah and I think this goes back to you know Grace as a character is very aware of that this element of her whether true or false is now the most like interesting thing about her
1: yeah and it makes her story more interesting and she openly admits in both the book and the show that she maybe made some details up to sound more interesting
0: yeah because like her jamie her new husband will like ask her about like the things she endured and kind of seems like morbidly fascinated by them as well yeah and she admits In the letter to Dr. Jordan that she makes up elements to him sometimes. Yeah. To like give him what he wants. And she says he's a lot like you. Yeah. She's like, I could tell when you when your attention started to wane in me telling my story. And I
1: needed to add some spicy details. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) And so I do think that adds not only another like layer of what's real and what isn't, but also just kind of shining light on her character and how she has um, absorbed all the aspects of this story, the sensationalized,
1: the attention, the that attention. It
0: gets yeah. Yeah. And, and as the reader, your role into being fascinated by this and mm-hmm. fascinated by her trauma and how if she wasn't this murderous you would not be interested at all in her day-to-day life of, like, cleaning and, yeah. you know, just, you know, being a maid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just so many qualities in this story that are perfectly touched on, but not really, like... Explained. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So which one is better? Man. uh,
0: So, do you want to start? I, I feel like I start too many times. I'll, I'll
1: start. I like both of them um and i feel like my views on adaptations have really evolved since doing this podcast yeah because some might think that the perfect adaptation is one that is very very faithful Mm -hmm. and i think i used to think that and now i view adaptations as what we've talked about before like A second chance for a story Mm -hmm. and a way to reinterpret it in a way that might be more interesting or do things a little differently than the book, but in an interesting and new and exciting way. So I think in that way, this adaptation fails. I just Mm -hmm. felt like it was too similar. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't try to do anything different. I I really did appreciate how it captured the book and the the tone of the book and the themes of the book. But when you compare them because they are so similar, you know, I'm going to have to go with the book because it's so much the same that I would, you know, I'm going to be like, well, the book was first in the original. So I'm going to Like recommend that. So I think if the show had maybe done something a little different or made things happen a little differently, I could have been like, you know what, actually the movie takes it or the show takes it farther. And I prefer that. So I think in this case, it's too faithful, actually. And so I'll prefer the book.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a really good point, because I think the book tells the story in a unique way that really takes advantage of the medium like the way grace's portions are told without quotations and it like really absorbs you into her perspective yeah and one of the articles i was reading about this adaptation was talking about like when you see something put to film the uh i keep using this word and i'm sorry but the ambiguity of it feels lessened yeah you know what i mean it feels like if you're watching the event that feels much more like that actually happened. Yes, like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're committing to this take. And the story does do a lot to show different versions of an event to kind of contradict itself. Yeah. And to kind of like, you know, make you second guess everything. So I do think the show does a good job at conveying this aspect in the adaptation. Mm -hmm. But I do think the book does it in such a good way that really takes advantage of the medium Mm -hmm. and the story. And Margaret Atwood, her writing in this story, even though I wasn't crazy about the ending. Yeah. All up through it. I was just really captivated. Grace's perspectives and thoughts on so many different topics and her life and class are very, very interesting. And I loved reading them there's so many things that felt so insightful in a way that I'd never thought about it, like the beds
2: quote. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: so I really, really enjoyed this book, even though it's very, it's quite large and dense. Yeah. And some may find it boring, but I I was totally on board almost like the whole time. Same. So I I think I'm also going to go book on this one, even All though right. the, the adaptation was very good for mo- for the most part.
1: Book for us. It's a book. It's a book. <laughs> Let's do lightning round. Lightning. So, first off, for Lightning Round, it's just a really quick one, but Mary Whitney is a great character in both the book and in the show because she's just very funny. Um, And one quote specifically from the show she says to Grace, Come, let's go to bed so we can make fun of people. (laughs) (laughs) It's just such
0: a blunt way to put it, but it's so, I love it. Yes. Another very quick one is that the French title of this show was Captive. Hmm. Which is interesting to th- because it has a lot of ways you could think about that. Yeah. With who's captive to who. Well,
1: and the title alias Grace is like, it is Grace real? What is yeah, Grace? Yeah, I, yeah. I also,
0: I, we didn't get to talk about that, but that's also uh, very interesting. Uh, so in the book, <laughs> there's like, I don't know, four, probably like four letters that we read about that are like, four pages long each yeah, and they're letters from Dr. Jordan's mother to him. And they're so funny because they're just <laughs> so like typical guilt tripping mom. mom things where she's like, Oh, the the lung illness I've had ever since giving birth to you is bothering me again, but I'm fine. Yeah, and, and
1: only you would marry so that I could die in peace.
0: Yeah, and it's like, are you sure about doing this career path? You could go into business uh, building um, uh, sewing machines. They're very popular right now, It's just like they're so because she like there's almost like this mini story within those letters that like yes. is revealed as it goes, which I just think is so funny.
1: Um, there's obviously many, uh, pregnancy storylines in this, uh, book and show, but this goes back to my argument that I've had in other podcast episodes where I talk about the fact that women cannot be sick (laughs) in books, in movies, in shows, women cannot be sick because as soon as you see a woman throwing up, you're like, Oh, She's pregnant. Yep. And sure enough, this is another example of women cannot just have the flu. Like, (laughs) or food poisoning. Like, it's always, like, a portent of, like, oh, no. Yeah. Now she's pregnant. So this only reinforced that theory.
0: I will say, though, in the book, when Nancy's pregnant, she doesn't get physically sick. Instead, like, she's gaining some weight and kind of having food cravings. Yeah. And I actually didn't know till it. Till Grace realized she was pregnant. So, mm-hmm. like, if you just remove the morning sickness as yeah. a factor, like, you can still kind of surprise people with that.
1: In the show, they have her vomiting, though. Oh, that's, <laughs> she, like, throws up on the floor.
0: They did add that, like, so suddenly. Yeah. She was just like,
1: Then And she's like, clean this up. <laughs> clean it
0: up. <laughs> uh, what was my last one? I don't the even know. The quilt pattern. The quilt, yeah. So, quilts are uh, really unique element to this story that I really appreciated where so each section of the book is actually titled after a quilt pattern Mm -hmm. that you see in kind of an illustration at the beginning of that section yeah and Grace talks a lot about quilts in terms of different patterns that are very common I had no idea that quilting patterns were like repeated and that there were common ones and like ones that she talked about wanting to make and also I love it as a theme for this story. Cause like this story is a patchwork. Yes. Her story is a patchwork of so many different things from like her testimony to what people have said about her to reporting and like, where's the truth. And like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like what we get is like this collage of like so many elements where there is a larger picture there, yes. but really it's kind of still unclear about like what the truth is. So I think it was like a very smart interesting recurring visual that Margaret Atwood incorporated into this story.
1: I agree. Yeah. So that wraps up our lightning round and wraps up the episode. Thank you for listening to this. This was a very, very complex and engaging story to talk about. So I'm really glad we got to do it.
0: Uh, Yeah. I loved this one. And like, once again, it's one we I don't think we would have picked for ourselves. No. So thank you so much to Maria. Maria uh for suggesting it we've already pitched our patreon to you so we'll just say if you do want to become a patron go to patreon.com slash cover to credits pod and as well we are on twitter at cover to credits pod we are on instagram covered Covered... oh it is it's just (laughs) cover to credits i'm sorry on twitter (gasps) it's cover to credits pod on instagram and facebook uh we're kind of everywhere you can email us at cover to credits pod at gmail.com yeah Even if you're not a Patreon, we're always interested in your suggestions. Yes. And uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time.
2: See you next time. Bye. Bye.